Dads. This is Chris Sherrod, um, Marriage and Family Director here at Watermark, and welcome to another episode of the Dad You Podcast. Today's going to be a little different. We are just going to air a talk that I gave back in January at our Dad You Bible Study. It was the it was the third week, and specifically, it was how to own the role of disciple maker. And so, we hope that you're encouraged and given some um, ideas, and uh, just want to equip you guys. So, hope you enjoy it. Just to remind you uh, to love God, love his word, and lead your family. Thanks, guys. All right. Morning. How many of you know that song? How many of that's high school for some of you? Or middle school? Hey, uh, good morning. Glad you guys are here. Uh, the reason I, I played that song, besides just to get us awake and uh, focused, it is a really, really powerful song. And this morning, we're going to talk about the environment that we create as dads. If you ever want, I'll just read you a few of these things, but if you ever want to um, be fascinated by the power of fathers, um, if you were to go to the YouTube channel uh, and look at the comments underneath this song, let me just read you a couple of these things. Uh, I still can't hear this song without breaking down. I will never let my children go through what I did. Uh, Happy Father's Day, everyone. We can still break the cycle and be good fathers ourselves. Like many others, this song is a narrative of my childhood. We were a well-off, happy family until my dad left when I was eight. He didn't even say goodbye. Next one says, I'm 50 years old, and I still cry about my father that left when I was 10. Listen to this. I come here every Father's Day to listen to this song. Isn't that powerful? And the lyrics, if you read what he says, at the end of the song he says, I will never be safe. I will always be weird inside. I will always be lame. It's a power, it, the song itself is just speaking about everything that we're doing here. Like the role that we play is, is huge. So anyhow, you can do that on your own. If you want to look up the, uh, the video, again, it's fascinating how many um, people comment. And uh, all of them in there just saying like, hey, we can all do this. We can all be different. Like really wanting to resolve if we do something different. Real quick, some announcements. I want to remind you, uh, Father-Son Retreat is now uh, online and available. Uh, I think, did you guys get an email about this? Anyone? All right, I'll make sure we get an email today. Uh, you can register for that. It's kids, uh, boys, second through fifth grade. Uh, another one, we're doing this parenting equipping night on February 17th. The birds, the bees, the Bible. Um, we've got, if you want to go ahead and take a picture of that, I think it's big enough. But you can go ahead and register. Those spots are limited and are already filling up kind of fast because they advertise to the nest already, I think. Or uh, square one, I'm not sure. But uh, this is a lady that we're bringing in uh, to talk to parents about how to talk to your kids about sex. And not in, um, in, in like the big talk, but just how to in everyday natural conversations uh, talk to your kids about this topic in a, in a biblical way. Um, and then like I mentioned before, we have Parenting on Point in four Thursday nights in April, uh, 6.30 to 8. So just a couple of reminders. Well, let me pray for us and we'll get going with our lesson this morning. Father, we thank you that you are our Father, that we don't have to uh, fear performing good enough for you, that we don't have to fear you abandoning us, that we can now turn and love the way you've loved us, God. And I pray that you would always be our example, not our own dads, not our own wisdom. Um, God, that you would be uh, our source of energy and hope and strength, that your Holy Spirit would give us all the fruit that we need to be fathers who are joyful, who are patient who have self-control. Um, speak to us through your word this morning, God, and bless our conversations. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
So we've been walking through these four things that faithful fathers do. One, passionately love Jesus. That's a big one. Mickey talked about that last week. We talked about owning the role of disciple maker, realizing, hey, this is my role. And I want to make sure that you heard me. I, I threw out this idea. Do you think of it as if I don't give my kids the word, no one's going to give them the, the, the word of God? I don't want you to feel this level of guilt like um, no one else is going to help me. But I do want you to feel that sense of it is primarily my responsibility. And I, I can't delegate this to other people. Um, and then even praying for our kids. If I'm, am, am I the primary person praying for them spiritually, for their heart? And then today we're going to talk about creating a word-centered home. And then next week, initiate faith conversations. My prayer is today and next week begin to be a little bit more and more practical. Like, okay, this is what it can look like. I've given you a handout on your, on your, your tables there if you want it. Just uh, creating um, kind of family opportunities. Um, those dad tools there if you want to. Use that just to get some things going. But um, Tim Kimmel, who, who runs this, this organization, this ministry called Family Matters, has said this, the primary role of a parent is to connect to the heart of their child in such a way that it makes it much easier for that child to ultimately connect to the heart of God. So my job, in one sense, initially is to represent, hey, when you think of God as Father, I'm going to try in a really imperfect way to model that for you, and I'm going to apologize when I screw up. But ultimately what I'm trying to do is then move you from dependence on me to dependence on the Lord. That that's my ultimate goal as I launch my kids, right? Some of you heard me share this at, I know you were at the Expecting Parents class recently, but in the summer of 2019, did I tell you guys about this when I flew a helicopter? I didn't use this illustration here, did I? Okay, good. So I got a friend who is a naval pilot in uh, San Diego on Coronado, and... Um, my first landing, I crashed uh, into the dock on the San Diego Bay. And then I tried it again. I think the next two times I crashed. Fortunately, it was a simulator. <laughs> gotcha. All you guys are like, what? Uh, I had this really cool opportunity to go into the actual flight training room and sit in the simulator room and practice flying. And the guy was giving me instructions, and it was all for fun. But here is where uh, Hollywood has lied to me, or at least fooled me, or I haven't paid attention. In my mind, the way you fly a helicopter is just this one stick right here. You guys think like that? Like I'm, it's like up and down, side to side? Yeah, some of you know. I, d- I didn't know this. You use your feet. You use your left hand to go up and down or depending on one side. And, and then you're using this thing. And it's like driving, learning to drive a stick. I was totally, hence my crashing. And again, fortunately, it was just a simulator. But he was like, no, 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 pull up. And the machine was like, pull up, pull up, pull up. And then I crashed. But here's what I had to realize in the midst of me learning to try to fly this thing. There were three things I had to keep in my mind all at the same time. And it was my feet, it was the left hand going up and down, and it was this stick. And in the same way, I just want to remind you, I know this is a lot to keep in mind. Your priority relationship is the Lord, and then your marriage, and then your kids. And I really do mean it in that order. In fact, if I were to say, what's the most important order of these things? God, wife, kids, community, job, you'd probably put them in that order. And you know, like, hey, listen, if there's a crisis at work and a crisis at home, I know which one I'd pick. I'd I'd go home. I'm sorry, i got to go take care of, right? In crisis mode, you know which one takes priority. But here's my question. In everyday life, when there's not a crisis, is this still in the right order? Does that make sense? Like, it's easy when there's a major thing, and you're like, oh, obviously I need to. But on just my everyday average stuff that I'm going through, how am I doing in all those controls, and which one comes first? Do I first have my oxygen mask, where I'm breathing my walk with the Lord, and then I can help other people? Or is it 
And again, part of this is you can ask your kids. If you want to be brave, uh, here's a dad's report card. If you want to, ask your kids, if they're old enough, uh, to fill this out and just see what they say. And some of us might be really hesitant and scared to give this to our kids and just say, hey, guys, don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. Whatever you want to say, go ahead and say it. And this is just one of those things, would you dare to do that? And it's a great reminder, like, why would I be scared? Is it my pride? Is, is it they might show me some blind spots that I have? But just to be willing to say, Am, if I were to ask my kids, what do you think is dad's most important thing in his life? Okay, that's a helpful thing. Even just thinking of what you, what you want for your kids, and to think of it this way, when your child leaves home, what do you want most for them? Okay. On your outlines, by the way, when I copied and pasted some of it, it restarted. You know how Word does that? The numbering. So some of you type A people are going to be really bothered that it starts with Roman numeral 4. I'm really sorry. That's just to help you work on that in your life. Um, What do you want most for your kids? Would it be social standing? Like, hey, they're well-adjusted. That's what I want for my kids. Athletic accomplishment. Good grades, right? Academic stuff. Or faith and character. I think... We probably all know the right answer, right? It's B. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, We all know the right answer of what we would say. Of course, that's what I want most for my kids. But here's the question. Which of these get most of your time, money, energy, and emphasis? When you think about what am I emphasizing to my kids, what am I talking about, or what will I, if your kids aren't old enough yet, to be working on these things? Is it, I just want them to fit in. Hey, how are you doing? Do you have any friends? Are you really making... Again, friends are important. Those are great. But do I just want their social standing? They're polite. They're nice. They know how to navigate life. Yeah, that's great. But is that the most important thing? Oh, but they're really gifted in this at five. I think we should join a travel ball team. Like, what, what is it that we are showing to our kids? And this is really important. Regardless of what I say is important to me, I communicate to my kids. I think I said this week one. What I really value by these three Ps. What I plan for, what I pay for, and what I praise. That tells my kids what's actually important. What I'm willing to carve out time for, right? What I'm willing to fork over money for, and what I get excited about, what I say is important. That's what they're really going to get, regardless of, uh, of what kind of comes out of my mouth, like, hey, this is most important. And this is the question related to these. How can we or how might we unintentionally send the message to our kids that their identity is in A, B, or C? Okay. Do I freak out if they get bad grades? This is where we're going to begin to talk today about what kind of environment in my home am I creating? When they think, okay, what makes dad happy? For me, both my parents were music teachers. Uh, My dad was department chair of uh, a college music program. And so I knew how to make my dad happy. I practiced guitar. I actually had to play piano, then guitar, and then I had to pick an instrument later, clarinet. So... In any one of those areas, I knew what was important to my dad. When I came home from school, I had this vivid memory. Every time I walked in my door, my dad's over here playing his guitar, practicing. And so whether or not he would have said to me, hey, following Jesus is number one, what I got from my dad was, did you practice today? Let's sit down. Let me hear you. Hey, I'm going to this concert. Do you want to go with me? All of these things, my dad sent me that message, whether he meant to you or not. So if I were to fill this out, I would have said, music is my dad's number one love, more than anything. And I probably, as a parent, I'll just tell you, swung too far the other way with music, where, I mean, I didn't make my kids do anything. I was more like, hey, I'll be as serious as you are. If you want to get serious about stuff, I'll get serious with you. But 
it was just such a, tr- it really is trauma, I feel like, like that I had to deal with practicing. Like it just, um, yeah. So I don't want to un- unintentionally send a message to my kid that what I really want from you is that you know how to behave. What I really want from you is you're mostly A's and B's. What I really want, what I really want is faith and character. I want you to love Jesus, okay? I want you to be a man of integrity, that you are who you are when no one's around. We shared this verse a lot, and we'll keep sharing it with our, our uh, Expecting Parents class on Monday. I was, we were talking about this verse where it says, Children are heritage from the Lord, they're, they're a reward, but they're like arrows that you launch. And I think of this and the damage that this arrow right here might do, right? Not much, Gideon, right? You're not scared of that one. However, if I were to throw this at Gideon, I'm just kidding. This is the point. In, in Bible days, in Bible times, what an arrow would have been equivalent to was like ballistic missiles. Like that was a major part of warfare. And I'm going to have this mindset that I'm launching my kids. And it's crazy now, guys. I'm about to launch my fifth kid by next December, like from college, launching them. Uh, it's wild. But to think I am launching them, my job is to point them to the point, what, what is life really about, and then launch them. Like to make an impact, to do damage for the kingdom of God. Not, yeah, nice grades is good. That's, that's nice. You found a spouse. That's great. But that's not what's most important. Okay? It's are you living for the name and fame of Jesus? Are you looking at other people and see them as, hey, do they have a relationship with the Lord like I do that I want them to know about? But they're arrows that I'm launching. But it all goes back to what's the home environment that I'm creating? That this is what matters to us. What does it mean you know, to be a shared. What are, what's our family motto, our family identity? What are our family convictions? And then how is that now going to be used for the world? Rather than be like this cul-de-sac where everything just kind of stops here with us or a reservoir of God's love and, and glory, I want to be this channel of God's love and glory. Like, yeah, God's blessed us to be a blessing. So just a quick reminder that you have a bigger impact than you think. Okay, we've talked about this before, but it is really crazy to look at, like I said, all of those, those people's comments underneath the Father of Mind song. But then also to think back to you, scripture-wise, why are fathers called out? Why are dads specifically told, hey, you dads, you need to watch out. You could bring your kids to the point of getting frustrated, where they want to give up. They're provoked so much. They're uh, they just feel like I can never measure up or I don't know where the standard is. I'm not sure. And I, I, I'm, I'm angry. I'm an angry kid or I'm, uh, I'm a confused kid about what really matters. And by the way, here's another thing. In Colossians 3, we're also warned, hey, husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. So we're warned twice to not provoke our kids. And we're also warned for a reason, specifically husbands, don't be harsh with your wives, which means if I'm harsh with my wife, I'm sinning. I need to confess that. I need to apologize. Like there's, there's a reason why there's warnings there. I'm, I need to be the most encouraging man in my wife's life. Are, this is important for you, right? Are you the most encouraging voice in your wife's life? Is there someone who's more encouraging than you? And you might need to tweak that or fix that. That she should feel like, regardless of what happens with my day, I know that my husband is going to encourage me throughout the day or when he comes home or whatever. I just want to make sure that we're thinking, because at work, a lot of times we get thanks, we get praise, we get promotions, right? What does my wife get? Does she ever feel like she's seen or valued or noticed? Coming home, getting out of the car, thinking, my wife has had a harder day than I have with that mentality. I'm here to serve, like we said last week. I think a lot of um, The Incredibles, I just like this movie, 
But the strength that he had, that when it wasn't under control, you guys remember the scene in The Incredibles? He's thrown his boss through the wall, right? Or later when he comes home and he's had a rough day and he slams his car door or he picks his car up, right? And he's going crazy. It's like one of those things like, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to realize you're about to do some serious damage and you've got a lot of strength that is, could be used for good, but is also really powerful. So again, that's why we're told, hey, dads, you, you need to tone it down, rein it in, think about it. What my words, the power of my words, the power of a gaze or a look at my kid or a raised eyebrow, like that says way more than I think. Okay? My 19-year-old daughter still, just in texting, texting is so bad. Like she'll ask me a question. I'm like, no, I'm just answering. Then she's like, are you mad? What's wrong? And I'm just like, I answered your question, but I didn't put like, rainbows and smiley faces and stuff like that. So she's, she's hanging on my words even, like just through a text. Okay, our words really are powerful. I love this reminder. I'm a big movie, big movie guy. You got The Greatest Showman, Mary Poppins, Sound of Music, and It's a Wonderful Life. What do these movies all have in common besides Julie Andrews and music? Because It's a Wonderful Life doesn't really have music. Yeah, it's all about a dad. It is all about a father's heart turning back towards his children. Think about this, okay? The greatest showman, he's got all this fame that he's chasing, and then he realizes at the very end, he's watching his daughters on stage. He's like, this is all I ever want. This is what I need, okay? My favorite line, like literally every year, we watch It's a Wonderful Life uh, as a family during Christmas, and I cannot not cry when at the end of the movie, his brother says to my big brother George, the richest man in town, What's the movie about? He realizes, if I lost my wife, my kids, nothing matters. He comes back, I'm ready to go to jail. I don't care. I got my wife and my kids. Mary Poppins is not about the nanny. It's about a father who thinks he's successful because of what he's doing at his job at the bank. And at the end of the movie, you realize his heart turned back to his kids. Let's go fly a kite. I just lost my job. I don't care. I want to be with my kids. Same thing with Sound of Music. A father whose heart got cold, and then he says to his nanny, you brought music back into my house again, and he begins to, to love his kids again. This is why the Old Testament ends with this. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That's the very end of the Old Testament, that God is going to make this, um, do this work, and he's going to send someone like Elijah the prophet, and the first thing he's going to do is get their hearts ready how is he going to get their hearts ready? I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their kids. Then guess what? 400 years later, Gabriel shows up and he's talking to a guy about his son who's going to become John the Baptist. And he's telling Zechariah, listen, he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Paving the way for the Messiah, getting ready for Jesus and his ministry. Part of John's job was... I'm going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Why? Because we create this atmosphere. We create this environment. We have way bigger influence than we think that we do. So we're going to talk about a thermostat here for a second. I don't know if you guys get crazy about your thermostat. I've seen online a bunch of funny things where dads post things around the thermostat, like, don't mess with my thermostat. This says, unless you answer yes to all of these, do not turn on heat. Are you wearing a hoodie, pants, or socks? Is it November? Do you pay the gas bill? Isn't that great? 
And then this one I love. Some of you will get this. The thermostat temperature shalt remain at 72 degrees, no more, no less. 72 shalt be the number thou thermostat shall remain, and the number of the th- temperature shall be 72. 73 shall not be allowed, nor either 71, excepting that thou temperature then proceed to 72. 74 is right out. Right? Monty Python, anyone? Here's just what I want to remind you. What I don't want to be in life in general is a thermometer, right? Am I going to be bold in my faith at work? Am I going to around my neighbors in the restaurant? Am I, well, what's, what's the environment? I don't know. Is this a safe place? That's a thermometer, right? I'm just waiting to see kind of like I'll kind of adjust to whatever, okay? I don't want to be that in my home. Like, I wonder if my wife wants to go to church today. I wonder if my, do my kids, do you think they'd want to do like a family devotional or talk about the Lord? I don't, I'll, that's being a thermometer. We are, we're naturally thermostats. So even me being kind of hesitant like that is setting the environment of my house. So what kind of home environment am I creating? Is it a home of, man, we are serious about, you know, school and, and rules and bedtime and discipline? Again, none of those things are bad, but is that the climate that I'm creating? One of tension, one of stress, okay? This is why Paul says, listen, this is what dads do. Here's the environment that you said. He says, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. He's saying, I want to be like everyone knows good dads should be. Exhorting, encouraging, charging. That means I'm encouraging my kids. I'm reminding them of stuff, but I'm charging them like, hey, remember today, you're not your score. Hey, be a joy to your teacher. Be a friend to the friendless. I love you. Like little reminders, big stuff. I don't know why it started just this year, but every morning when I drop my kids off, I, I tell them, I go like this, hey, I love you. And then they started doing this. They started doing this back, and as long as they can see me, and I'm still driving away, they're going like this. I love that. Sometimes I'm like, do people think they're weird? Like, do they even know who I'm, they're waving to you? They just walk around like this all day? But I want to create this environment where they know, like, hey, this is a safe place. That is not what I felt growing up. Anyone feel like this with your dad if you got bad grades? I always went to my mom first. She was going to like soften the blow. She was going to make sure dad, you know, kind of feel the water. Like, is this going to go bad? What kind of environment was that? It was stressful. It was performance-based. Now, again, in all this, hear me. I'm not saying grades don't matter. I'm just saying, but is it, man, I messed up. I better tell my dad or I, I messed up. I hope my dad doesn't find out. Like, do my kids feel safe coming to me? Or do my kids feel fear? Part of it is just because we're, we have a powerful influence. Do my kids feel like, man, dad's so busy? What environment am I creating? What I wanted to be as a dad, and this is my challenge for all of us, I want to be the fun one. I'm more naturally like this. My wife is more like rules. Some of you are more rules, and you're not very spontaneous. You're not very fun. But am I the one starting the pillow fight? Or wanting to play the games with my kids, or tickle, or take my teenage daughter out. I took my teenage daughter to In and Out yesterday, and I, I made her day just because food, I think, was helpful. But I just let her talk. And I had, there was times where I was sitting there going, like, man, I want to, there's so much I want to say, but I want to, I want to enjoy this moment. There's other times. Am I the one starting the water fight when we're washing the car? Or look at that, isn't that cool gun right there? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Or, hey, let's make a fort. Or, hey, let's play a game. 
And watching movies is fun too, but I, that's kind of my default lame, hey, let's watch something. And I'm not being very intentional, but I want to be where we play board games, okay? But again, what kind of home environment, when my kids look back and go, man, dad was serious about the Lord. I mean, we had structure and stuff, but dad was just gracious. It was fun. Like, I enjoyed the talks that we had because I didn't feel like I was getting lectured to. Just what's the environment that you're creating? In this book, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, he says, I'm talking about the kind of manhood lived by bold, caring, principled, passionate men. I'm talking about the kind of manhood that makes a family whole, a woman safe, a child confident, and a community strong. I'm talking about a manhood rooted in heritage and honor and devotion to tribe. It is often rowdy and eager for fun, but it is always on duty and never fails to mind the borders of the territory Territory, it is assigned. So a home of grace and truth. We're going to talk about stuff that really matters. We're going to have standards. There's expectations we have, character that we're working on, but always grace. There's always room. It's, it's an environment of humility where I'll be the first to say, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I was wrong. And I don't always, by the way. I'm just saying that's what I want, that I'm going to create this place. Vulnerability creates vulnerability. Um, humility, confession, like all of those things are huge as far as the environment that we're creating. So let me just end by talking about a, a few things um, about creating an environment. Um, let me just tell you guys this. Back in the fall, we did a Parenting on Point class, and the last night we had this panel of grown kids, and two of my kids were on there. My daughter Annabeth, who's in the Institute now, just got married, was on there, and then my son Rylan happened to be in town for the day, and I said, you want to jump on this panel? And in the middle of them talking, my daughter said something, um, and here's the word she said. We always had family devos. And in my mind, listening to this right away, I thought, no, we didn't. <laughs> we did not always have family devos. But in her mind, we always had family devos. Isn't that interesting? That she remembers her childhood differently than I'm just like, I know for a fact, we did not have daily family devos. Is she thinking that maybe often we would talk about what we had learned? or We, we did have them, but not always. But I just want to remind you that your kids are remembering stuff bigger, maybe more exaggerating stuff than you realize. But I don't want it to be like, my dad was always mad. My dad was always busy. My dad was always versus, man, my dad was always reading his Bible. And in my mind, I'm like, I tried. I don't know that I always did. But what they're seeing is a pattern. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a pattern. In general, am I creating a home environment where God's word is is exalted. It's a word environment, like Deuteronomy 6 says. Okay? So I want it to be this God-honoring home. It's rooted in relationship. Even just creating an environment. Do you just have praise music playing or something where this is just the, the home environment? Because they got the word, the world environment everywhere else. Is it when they come home, they feel something is a little bit different? And if you look at in the Old Testament, with whether it's the, the Passover. We're doing all of this stuff as a family. And then it says, and when your kids ask you, why are we doing this? Then you explain to them. Well, let me, let me tell you my story. I was a slave. And then God entered history and miraculously rescued me despite who I was. And he freed me. Now I got this freedom and I'm going to this promised land one day. That's, that's the gospel. That's our message, right? We were slaves. God entered history to free us. And we're not there yet, but we're on our way to the promise, right? And then you've got... Bottom left-hand corner, God does this miracle crossing the Jordan River. And God says, hey, I want you to memorialize this 
build an altar, and then it says, when your kids ask you, what are those for, those stones, then you tell them, here's what God did. Same thing in the reading of the law. They have this public reading of the law as a group, and then individually in the homes. When your kid says, what was that about? You just tell them, uh, this is just what we do. No. No, that's not what it says. Read Deuteronomy 6. It says, when your kids ask you, what is the meaning of this? You say, let me tell you my story. And you make it personal again. So the group setting, and here's the deal. If you come to this church as a family, you've got this group setting where God's works and word are commemorated by the community, but then illuminated by the family. This is God's plan. In the Old Testament and now, we come together and we'll do public displays like baptism or communion. So we've got this this community thing that we all need. We need group worship and community and encouragement. That's our holy huddle. People talk about, don't be a holy huddle. Well, this is where we actually, we come together. Maybe this is the one place this week where we huddle up, we get the game plan, get reminded, get a little break, and then we go back out in the game. But we come here as a family, and it seems like a pretty big deal, but then are we talking to our kids about it? Or thinking of it this way, the corporate celebration sparks the personal conversation. And what this does, you guys, it reminds our kids, you're a part of a bigger community. You're a part of a community of faith, of this tradition of, uh, of Christianity that's been passed down through the years, that we as a family get to be a part of. So you make it a big deal. Sundays are important. But like I said last week, just get ready for warfare. Like Satan hates us showing up at church, ready to hear, ready to be taught, you know, in harmony with our wives. Like that's where the battle's going to be. Why is discipline so hard? By the way, that was the number one thing that most of you said last week you won for a podcast. Discipline. Think about discipline for a little bit. Chad and I were talking about this the other day. You are battling the flesh, the world, and the devil. When you are disciplining your kids, you're battling your own flesh of what I feel like doing versus what they need right now. I'm battling their flesh that wants to disobey. I'm battling this world's philosophy that says, ah, oh, just they'll figure it out. It's no big deal. And then I've got Satan who hates faith and character growing in my kids. And so when you discipline your kids, of course it's going to be a battle. Okay? And for some of you, you feel like this is the story of our life every day. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Okay? But I need to look for opportunities to do this. Where am I taking my kids? So imagine this. How many of you can relate to this? You got the car all packed. Okay? The kids are ready to go. Had, they've gone to the bathroom. You get in the car, right? Close the back door. Everybody gets in the car. Just start the car on, and you look at your wife, and you go, where are we going? None of us would do that. None of us would say, hey, guys, we're going on vacation. Pack up the car. Let's get all ready. And then we're like, well, now let's figure out where we're going. No reservations are made. We haven't looked anything up. We have no idea where we're going. What time is this? How far... No, we would all make a plan. When I go to Florida, we go maybe once a year or every other year or something to enjoy it. I have it mapped out, okay? In the old days, right, paper maps, anyone? Paper maps don't do you any good unless I know where I am on the map. By the way, that's important, my blue dot. And I don't, if I don't know where I'm going, this is the red dot. Now we got these, you know, phone things. But this is the vision that we need as men. Where are we at right now? Our blue dot, where are we starting from? And then where's my red dot? Where do I want to take my family? Okay? What type of environment do I want to create? And let me just, I just got to remind you guys, it is never too late to start. My dad, okay, 
didn't give me this environment that I'm talking about, but my, my wife's dad, let me tell you about this. He was 40 years old when he came to faith in Christ. He had a freshman in college, a senior in high school. My wife was in eighth grade, and then her younger brother was in seventh grade. It is never too late. Never too late. But let me tell you what happened. When he got saved, their home environment changed. Where now, and my wife will tell you, she didn't get it. It was kind of this domino effect of salvation through the family. My wife was the last one because she is stubborn um, and strong-willed. And she's like, what are y'all doing? You're going crazy. What's this religion? Finally, she turns to Christ. But even then, she still, as a teenager, would just get frustrated sitting there when he would try to read from the Bible. And she hates it now. But she would sit there and just be like, is this almost over? That's the look she was giving her dad. But what he would always say to her is, first of all, um, I'm, not account- I'm not answering to you one day. I'm going to stand before Jesus. And what she always says is, when I was tough, my dad was tougher. That he was not going to let her attitude, her lip, her looks stop him from doing what he knew that he needed to do. And just to encourage you guys, I went back online. I was looking for something else, and I stumbled across this 1950s 30-minute movie where it was like the leave it to beaver look of this home. And this dad was thinking about, should we start doing family worship in our home again? And which is just reading the Bible. And let me tell you, he's got these two teenagers that are on their way home from his dad's house where they were reading the Bible. And he's like, maybe we should do that again. And the teenager's reaction was like, oh, come on, dad. And the daughter was like, if my friends knew that we did this, they'd think I was crazy. So let me just tell you, nothing has changed. There are still teenagers like my wife that will have that attitude. And you just have to go, but it's the right thing to do. Creating a home environment. If you turn to the back of your notes right there, you guys, I've got a QR code. Okay? For a book. There's actually two of my favorite books I want to tell you about. The Habits of the Household is awesome. I'm talking about that more next week. But this little book, Family Worship, I tried, but I don't have it in my budget. I was going to buy all of us a copy of it. I just have it in my budget. Um, but there's a QR code for this. This is such a simple thing that Jonathan and his family do that this is, it's, it's really simple. Hey, you want to have family worship? Read, sing, pray. Whatever order you want. Sing, read, pray, pray, read, sing, whatever it is. Do those three things and you just led family worship. And you don't have to be musical. You can put on a Hillsong video or you can just sing through a, a hymn. But it's just, I'm just going to read scripture. We got join the journey, join the journey junior. And then we're just going to pray. And just that simple step, like, I just want to begin to create this environment where we're going to do those three things. The guy who wrote this, Donald Whitney, talks about his daughter when she graduated high school, gone on into college. The number one thing she remembered about her childhood was we did family worship. We would read, sing, and pray, and that's all. Really, really simple. It doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out, thought-out thing. It's just we're going to read God's Word. Do I believe, like we said last week, that it's, God's Word is living and active? that it can penetrate to my kids' hearts, that I just want to let them hear the word. Actually, in Romans, it says faith comes by hearing the word. Okay? So, what kind of home am I building? When my, uh, all four of my kids who got married now, when I did kind of a father's blessing in their wedding, this is my prayer for them. I said, I pray that your home would now be a house of prayer, a habitat of peace, a haven from sin, a hand of generosity, and a home of hospitality. I said, this is my prayer for you. I want that when people come into your home, when they come into my home, that it's this environment, it's the aroma of Christ, 
that it's just something's different. Katie and I have done foster care for 20 years now. And we just want, when kids come into our home, they feel safe. They feel like, okay, this is a place where I can just sleep. Right? It's just, I don't feel like all the stuff of the world is, is on me still. It's, I'm, I'm, it's washing off of me. We had girls who aged out of the foster care system. We had girls who had been trafficked. We had all these different situations. We wanted our home to be a place where, hey, we're going to pray for you. We pray here. We're a hand of generosity. We're a place of hospitality. That word literally means love of the stranger. Like, this is what I want my home to be. It's a haven from sin where we're just, not that, not that we're sinless, but just all the world's philosophy and stuff, it's just not here. You're not going to find that here. Okay? So, starting with your own walk, are you meditating on God's word? The result, you become like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit. How's your time in the Word? And then guess what? When it's related to the Word in Ephesians 5, it talks about husbands, love your wives like Christ. Well, guess what it says? Christ washes us with the water of the Word. So one of the ways I lead my wife, all I know, and I wish he would give us specifics, but it just seems to indicate in Scripture. That means somehow I bring God's Word into the relationship. What are you reading, sweetie? Let me share with you what I'm reading. Let's read together. Whatever it is, but I use God's Word somehow in my marriage. Doesn't tell me exactly how that's a freedom for you to know, like, well, study your wife. What encourages faith in the heart of your wife? And then my prayer today, even, is maybe some of you could pray this prayer. Lord, turn my heart to the ministry of my children. Turn my heart, like Malachi says, like Gabriel said that John the Baptist would do. Turn my heart. That has something, some of an impact on my kids. Again, my my father-in-law was such a great example of once his heart turned, domino effect all the way through his family. I'll end with two examples, um, well, a few examples. We started something in our home uh, years ago where we have a family memorial. And this is just a shelf on our wall that has a whole lot of reminders, little trinkets, um, pictures, toy cars of prayer requests that God has answered, provisions from the Lord, safety that God has granted us in different situations, um, one of the car ones is, uh, I don't know, it's, you can see it maybe on the top shelf. It was an old beat-up truck, uh, a huge car accident that I was in that I was okay. Um, there's a motorcycle up there. I've been in two motorcycle wrecks. Um, but just God's provision in so many ways. The, my, my daughter-in-laws, um, there's just a lot of stuff. And what I try to do, and this is really irregular, but I try to tell these stories to my kids. I want that to be my home environment. And, and again, it's easy for our kids to think like, well, there was, that's God back in the Old Testament, back when he did those things back then, when he did miraculous stuff. No, he still does miraculous stuff. Just like Joshua was told, build these 12 stones, right? So when your kids ask, what is that for? Then you tell them the story. I want to have these on there. If my kids are like, hey, uh, what was that one about, Dad? Oh, yeah, let me tell you that story. And what's been really fun, you guys, is my oldest son, He's about to be 29. It's crazy. In his house now, he started his own memorial shelf where he's telling my grandkids some of these same stories. But Deuteronomy 4 says, hey, watch yourself. The things you've seen, don't let them slip from your heart. But you tell them to your children and your children's children, which means my job is not done yet. I keep telling these stories to my grandchildren. Right? That's part of my role, that environment. I mentioned you can... 
Do you join the journey with your kids? Here's another really simple one because it's an app, the New City Catechism. If you just want to talk to your kids about what you believe, some basics of the faith, it's got a Q&A thing where you just ask, this, this is catechism. You ask your kids a question and then they learn the answer. And here's the deal. On the app, under the kids section, they've got these songs that play with it that at first I thought was really kind of corny. But guys, it is amazing what music does with memorization. My kids know this stuff. And we've only done a few of these things. But if you were to ask my eight-year-old, what is our only hope in life and death? He would say that we are not our own, but we belong to God. But it's because he knows the song that goes with this. So in the morning, on the way to school, last year for sure we did this a lot, we would just play this. What's What's our question of the week? That's a great example of taking, making the most of drive time, right? When you walk along the way, Deuteronomy 6 says, and just we're going to talk about these things. And it's not like this pressure I'm putting on them like you've got to do this, you're in trouble. But let's just listen to this maybe one time, okay? And then that's all we're going to do today. But what type of environment are you creating for your kids that they look back and they just go, you know what? God's word was central to our family. That was the environment that, that dad created, or such an environment of encouragement, or fun, or grace, or home of peace. Okay? Again, using little phrases with your kids. Hey, we live for the name and fame of Jesus. Make it memorable. Remind them, hey, you're not your score. Whether it's they're taking a test, or doing something athletic, or whatever. Our job is to create in them the same vision as they go out. Like, why do you think you're in that classroom, in that chair? Why do you think you made the, the, the... the football team or the basketball team or in the band or why do you think you're in that class? Why do you think we're in this neighborhood? Just reminding them that there's a bigger picture out there, that we're blessed to be a blessing. Let me end with this quote before we do small group discussion. C.T. Studd, who's a missionary and just has a cool name anyways, um, said, let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. Isn't that good? That am I living my life and leading my family in such a way that when I finally die one day, Satan is like, whew, hey, let's, let's pause and throw a little celebration here. I am so glad he's gone. He was thwarting my plans. He was living for the name and fame of Jesus. He was doing all this stuff that I hate. Like, am I living my my life in a way that only makes sense in light of eternity? Or people might be like, that's weird. Yeah, it is kind of weird, but this is what we do. Okay, it's just where I'm living for the name and fame of Jesus. So whatever you do, do something that does damage for the kingdom of God. Okay? Okay. Uh, great. You got your questions in the back of your handouts there. Again, if you want to take one of those copies of the dad report card, you can. Hopefully that family time ideas will help you a little bit next week. I'm going to give you specifics on those four areas. When you sit at home, walk on the road, lie down and get up of things that you can do. Hopefully this is helping make things a little more practical as we go through this. Let me pray and then you guys can discuss. Lord, we bless you. Thank you so much again that you are our heavenly father that um, our kids are not our report card. Um, Lord, that it's all the righteousness, the performance, the perfection of Jesus that um, forms our identity. Thank you for your grace and mercy and forgiveness every day when we blow it. Um, 
And Lord, we pray that we would be filled with your spirit. Lord, you never run out of joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control, but God, I do. And so I need you. Help us, help us to live by your spirit so we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Um, help us to keep in step with your spirit, Lord. Help us to be mindful of the home environment that we're creating, that we would have word-centered homes, Lord, that our wives would feel encouraged and cherished, our kids would feel pointed to you and loved the way you love us. Bless our time together now. In your name we pray, amen. 